You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay, and in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and Clearpay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN GameScoop. I'm your host for the next two weeks, so sorry about that in advance. Um, but I am so excited to be here and joined by my wonderful friends, Samuel Claiborne. What's up, everybody? Justin Davis. Hello. And a new face and friend, our very new entertainment reviews editor, Alex Dedman. Hi, Alex. Hi. Longtime listener, first time guest. Happy to be here. Awesome. Happy to have you here. Um, we've got a pretty good show for you this week, I would like to think. We'll be talking about how Naughty Dog is dealing with crunch at their studio, uh, new footage and information from the Dead Space remake, and the latest gameplay reveal for 2K and Marvel's Midnight Suns.com last week. But first, let's talk about movies. Let's make this a little bit of a movie scoop segment, uh, which you know we've got Alex here for, so it's perfect. Um, earlier this week, I actually secured an exclusive look um, at some of the scenes and characters of Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, so we saw our first look at Claire and Chris Redfield, Jill, Jill Valentine, um, Leon Kennedy, and Albert Wesker, and a few other a few other faces or or deformed faces, perhaps. Um, <laughs> what did you guys think uh, compared to you know knowing and loving the franchise as we do? I already hate myself for saying dark and gritty, but it looks really dark and gritty. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of, I'm cautiously optimistic to see them leaning into so much of the horror aspect because um, the director was saying that he's very much inspired by the Resident Evil 2 remake of the game. And we know that the first three Resident Evils are very horror based before going more action. So I think this will be really interesting. I think it's going to be really creepy. I think uh, the second still that shows some of the Spencer Mansion has the potential to be really atmospheric and claustrophobic. So definitely excited to see more of that. 
yeah, it looks it looks very different, to be honest, from the uh, main Resident Evil movies. What is oh, the yeah. what's the nature of, of this? Is is it a spinoff or like a reboot or do, do we know enough about that? It's kind of like an so, origin story, I think. OK, yeah, that's the kind of official uh, the director um, and writer, main writer on the on the movie has kind of said about this. But honestly, if you think about the original Resident Evil movies, not games, it feels like a reboot tonally. And they talk a lot about that, too. So going back to the origins of our it's it's mostly based on RE1, RE2. So that's why you're seeing like Spencer Mansion. And um, they'll also dive into uh, the Raccoon City Police Department, too. So mm-hmm. it, there, it's it's a bit of the origin in that sense. But as far as the movies go, it's more of a reboot of what those are. Have you guys seen the movies, the, the other movies? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Was that I a fortunately not. or unfortunately? Oh, very uh, strong un on the front of that <laughs> statement. No, I mean, the first the first Resident Evil movie is OK. And like, you know, they range from like, OK, to actively bad. Like, <laughs> you, get, you get so used to something being a certain way. It's like, oh, the Resident Evil movies are kind of weird and they have nothing to do with the games. And like. Then to see this reboot or remake where like, wow, like it sort of resets your idea of like what's possible. And it's like, maybe we really can have a Resident Evil movie that's, you know, authentic to the games, but still has its own identity and is still really spooky and creepy. And um, uh, that that's what excites me the most is you just get you just get used. I just got used to it. It's like, oh, you know, the movies are just this weird other thing. And it's like, well, maybe they don't have to be. So, so that's cool. I'm really pumped. Yeah, it looks a lot more like the, again, the first three games than it does the actual movies. Um, and I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Uh, so the director, Johannes Roberts, I'm like a little mixed on his previous works. Uh, loved 47 meters down, did not like the strangers pray at night. So I'm keeping my mind very open, but curious to see more out of this for sure. You know, the original Resident Evil game uh, I always associate that with like, it was, it was, I can't tell how intentional it was, but it, it, it it's like a B movie, right? It like, it had, uh, cut scenes, uh, where I V right in the first game. And, uh, it, it were just really hammy dialogue, really silly encounters. And there's one liners that everybody quotes. Now that was all based on like, kind of like grindhousey, like horror cinema and, you know, it was kind of self-referential and, you know, and that, that's, that kind of. people take Resident Evil very seriously now. And I wonder if the feel of a movie could be pulled, if they could pull off that feel where it's like those games are are scary because of jump scares, but they're also just kind of like corny. And like, I think people love them for that. The original ones, at least they got a lot more just scary, just serious. And then like an occasional one liner to kind of, you know, laugh off the, the gore you've just been witnessing for the past 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to see that too much. Yeah, sorry, I'm having a little bit of technical difficulty yeah. on my end. I don't know, you're good. I, this looks very serious, and from what I'm seeing from the director, like, they're saying it's very serious. So I'll be curious. I hope they don't take themselves too seriously, because it is kind of silly and fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they mentioned, um, you know, we, we did an interview alongside some of those first exclusive looks, uh, exclusive looks that we had up here. Um, and, uh, the, the director, uh, Johannes Roberts mentioned that the previous movies were very bright and shiny, whereas this movie, um, was dark. And I think he means the games, whereas the original games are like dark and grimy in this mm-hmm. movie. So, you know, the dark and gritty comment is totally accurate, uh, perhaps overused in horror films, but it's, it's meaningful in this sense because, 
we've come to know Resident Evil in a mainstream film different way than what like fans of the game series has has come to know it to be. So I think like the idea that they're really cognizant of making it this adaptation that's a little bit more, um, you know, some of the words that he used were like atmosphere drenched tone um, where you can feel the texture and everything is dilapidated. Like nothing in this town is high tech. Uh, he kind of speaks to a lot of that. And even mentions, um, you know, I have a quote right here where he mentions, we actually got blueprints from them, meaning Capcom, on the designs of the Spencer Mansion and Raccoon Police Station (laughs) in order to recreate them as perfectly as we could. We even have Mm. the exact artwork up on the mansion walls. So they're really driving at, yeah, they're like really driving at making this more of that creepy, you know, stocky, gory thing rather than the movies that were kind of gory and action oriented, which... You know, fans of of the actual Resident Evil series, the original Resident Evil game series, uh, I think will be looking forward to just having that in general, just having an alternative to the Mia Jovovich, like high action, uh, high octane kind of experience. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the blueprints. I can just see them like handing over like the in-game maps. They're like, here's the room where you find <laughs> the crystal. Just remember, you need the eyeball first. <laughs> Yeah, they, that's what I was going to say, is they could have got those maps from IGN.com. You don't have to get those from Capcom. <laughs> that's true. We have many resources. I um, just, like, um, I know that, like, the ends of every Resident Evil game, like, go into, like, a super, like, high-tech lab facility, and it's always, like, a really cool juxtaposition from the dilapidated stuff. And I feel like it's that end lab facility stuff that like the movies are kind of based on. I'm only saying that because I've watched all the trailers for them, but it's like that action stuff takes place in like, you know, it's about biohazard, like high tech stuff. And that's that Resident Evil gets there. But like, I like the beginnings of the Resident Evil games a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's promising that they're focused on that element of it to kind of nail that thing. of it. Uh, and the, the other interesting um, part of our interview that we discovered was his perspective, Roberts's perspective on nailing the characters. Cause a lot of times our instincts, especially when we're seeing first looks like this, where it's so focused on the characters themselves, you know, our instinct will be like, Oh, well, you know, does, does, uh, does Jill Valentine, like, is her hair color quite the same? You know, mm-hmm. does, is Leon Kennedy, like he doesn't have that like Japanese anime kind of hairstyle look <laughs> like is that, is that going to ruin the, the experience? Um, but he mentioned, uh, and I have another quote from him. Uh, he mentioned, I think often in game adaptations, one of the big flaws can be just casting someone to look visually like the characters, giving them the identical haircut and clothes, but not really trying to give the audience the thing that a movie does better than a game, which I think this might be debatable these days. Um, <laughs> but he says, which is to create a three-dimensional character that you can really connect with and believe in. There's, there's, whether it's right or wrong about that, uh, you know, you're right, you know, I kind of, that's up for debate, but, but I think it's a great point that like by, by getting so close to and trying to mimic and exactly copy the look and feel and like face of the video game character, then that just, that's, it, that invites a comparison that you're, that you're never going to win. Right? Like, because it's a different actor, like it's a different performance. It's a different, uh, you know, voice. It's, it, it is going to be different. So it's like, Maybe, maybe he's right. Like maybe they should just be, you know, not, not try to do one-to-one copies to what's in these really high fidelity games. Yeah. Sometimes whenever people are freaking out about casting, I'm like, guys, you know that people can like dye their hair and get haircuts. Like that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Or that like good, they're like, oh, it's good casting when 
they just look like the character. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, okay. Terrible actor, but, you know, yeah. visually really, really connects. <laughs> she wears that red jacket in every movie. She's perfect for the part. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, she was born with that red jacket. Um, yeah, you know, he, uh, the director also mentioned that it was particularly tricky to cast Leon, apparently, um, because they were really going for a specific balance of humor and wariness for his character when they were casting that. Wariness. One. That's good. Yeah. Good word. Yeah, yeah. And I so you, guys, you should uh, be wary. There's like giant spiders in closets and stuff. You got to be wary. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> a lot to look forward to there. But yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, Alex, you, you mentioned you were cautiously optimistic. I think I would call myself the same just in the sense of like, hey, this is something different. Maybe it'll be more traditional horror rather than like action over the top uh, crows attacking you horror. And that's a Mia Jovovich <laughs> movie reference. <laughs> <laughs> No, and Tia, and you mentioned that, you know, it, it kind of seems to be taking a little bit more from the games than the movies. And I think that's a hundred percent the case. I think it's going to be very much made for not only fans of the games, but especially fans of the first few games. Um, so that'll be interesting to see for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to live up to, but seems like they're taking the right approach so far. Slow but steady. We'll, we'll keep our expectations in check for now. This episode of Game Scoop is brought to you by NordVPN. As Scoop Nation knows, your Omega Cops have been a little obsessed with a movie called Weekend at Bernie's lately. But as happens too often these days, it is difficult to find it streaming here in the U.S. That's where NordVPN comes in. With NordVPN, you can switch your virtual location to a more enlightened region where they appreciate the comic delights of Weekend at Bernie's. And it's not just for streaming movies and shows. Switching your virtual location can allow you to save money by purchasing flights, hotels, and subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. And you can do all this worry-free as NordVPN threat protection features protect you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. Best of all, NordVPN costs the price of a cup of coffee a month, and one account can be used on up to six devices. To get the best discount on your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com gamescoop. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com gamescoop. One in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list, or life backlog, if you will. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Upgrade your personal skill set in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Its tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. I have a trip to Mexico coming up, so I've been using Babbel to brush up on my Spanish. The courses are short and sweet, so I can do one whenever I have a few minutes to spare. And the words and phrases it teaches you are designed for practical, real-world use, like ordering at a restaurant or asking for directions. Babbel can even provide you feedback on your pronunciation with its speech recognition tech. And it's not just for Spanish. Babbel includes 14 different language courses, each backed by a 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for Scoop Nation. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, only for our listeners, at babbel.com gamescoop. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com gamescoop, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com gamescoop. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
Mm. Um, in other news that isn't particularly new necessarily, um, but coming off of a new interview perhaps, uh, is, um, Naughty Dogs, Evan Wells and Neil Druckmann, uh, conducted an interview with, with Game Informer. They participated in an interview where they talked a lot about, um, the studio, its history, where they're going forward. One of the big topics that got a lot of attention this week uh, was on crunch. Obviously, there was earlier in the year, there were a lot of reports about um, crunch conditions with Naughty Dog and shipping The Last of Us 2. Uh, so it's it's sort of resurfaced in this new interview. And it's it's coming at a juncture where it's coming after some of those criticisms. So they've had an opportunity to reflect and start to put together, hopefully, some measures to mitigate some of that. Um, but did you guys check out the interview and what were initial mm-hmm. thoughts from, from what they proposed? It was... It was awful. Like I, to, to speak, <laughs> speak frankly about their comments on crunch. Like they were very, like I saw someone describe it as wishy-washy and it is very wishy-washy. They were like, well, like we would like to mitigate crunch, but we can't mandate 40 hour work weeks. It's like, yeah. no, you kind of can. Like I, mm-hmm. to me, it just seemed like a total non-answer. It was so disappointing. And it was such an opportunity for them to be like, you know, we're going to fix this. Here are the steps we're taking to make this better. And they didn't. And it was so disappointing to me. Yeah. I, yeah. I when I went to the source interview and was just kind of like trying to try to, there's no, I mean, th- they give, they give like, Oh, here's some examples of things we've tried, but they're like very, you know, standard ones. It's like, we hired more managers and more leaders to care about this more, but that's directly contradicted by, you know, attitudes like a 40 hour work week is something that some people just don't want. Some people just, you know, we want to free people to work creatively, like for you know long hours, stuff like there's pressure on people to do these things. You don't know what their motivation is for working long hours. Right. And, and so, yeah, those were like in, kind of inadequate, maybe, maybe a little bit retro answers to a question like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not convinced a game like the last of us two can get made in any kind of reasonable time frame without crunch. And so Yikes. I'm not, I'm not sure what the compromise is. Like if you look at the horse that was just being ridden in this B-roll, if you're watching the video version, like that horse took however many human hours it took to like, you know, design and animate and, you know, do the AI for. And so if you're working a 40 hour week and you're not working any overtime and you're not sort of subtly encouraging crunch, like how many more weeks would that have taken than it took to get done? Like, and by the way, this isn't me like defending crunch, but like, it's terrible. Like I don't, it's, um, it's a, it's a problem that plagues our industry, but it's like, it's really tough to know, like these games just feel almost impossible to make. And it feels like a minor miracle anytime, you know, a triple A or quadruple A game comes out. And so how can you, how can you do it in less than eight years without, I think the, uh... you know, without burnout happening. I think the end credit scene are a clue to that. They get bigger and bigger each year. And the amount of people that work on these games is massive and they work in different countries and they work Mm -hmm. in from different like hired studios. And it's just going to have like stuff like this is going to have to be spread out so much. And that takes like crazy coordination to spread out that much work, you know? And I I think like moving from a smaller studio up through the years and growing is like, you know, it must be really difficult. And I, I, I totally, you know, understand that, but like, man, like if, if it, these games are going to take more hours to make the, just going to take more people. 
it feels yeah. it feels un, it feels untenable. Like it, 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 there has to be a ceiling to like each generation. What's considered a big AAA blockbuster game takes more people than it took the generation before. Like in mm-hmm. the '90s, it was it was Sonic the Hedgehog was like as advanced and fancy <laughs> as video games could get, and a team of twenty people made. Yeah, game. exactly, um, with no credits. Yeah. And now it's thousands, and it's like, well, okay, where does this go? Like, you know, when we're making eight K. Uh, textures, you know, in another five years um, uh, for, for some corner of a room that people walk through and spend three seconds in like, you know, tools and automation can help with things like this. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, but the team sizes can't just keep growing forever. And so it's like, I'm having a hard time visualizing like what the end game is here. Um, And again, I'm not defending crunch, but like I do get how we ended up where we are now. And I, I, you know, I don't know, I'm a little bit worried for, for the solution being found. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of different angles here because, you know, Sam, you were talking about how, you know, certain things are outsourced to different studios. Maybe it's just, you know, internal teams that exist in other regions, but there are studios that are like third party studios that specialize in certain mechanics um, or in certain asset development. Uh, And so there's a lot of companies that do rely on outsourcing to them. And I think that that structure then gets a little bit more contained, at least on certain areas of development. Um, and, uh, you know, Neil Druckmann spoke about how to your point, Justin, like they worked a very particular way when they were 40 people. And now that they're scaling and growing in size and the expectations are growing in size, um, you know, they have to contend with the, the studio growing to a degree that it's, it's more difficult to, to maintain like, you know, managerial operations across all of these things. Do you outsource to some of these other companies? How does that work? How are you ensuring that those conditions, the conditions that those studios are, are being upheld? So there, there is a lot. Um, at play and, and to their credit, they do say that, you know, th- that they need multiple solutions to, to tackle what is a multi, often a multifaceted, um, issue. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of other topics here that we could explore potentially, like, you know, what are the budgets for these sorts of things? A lot of developers mm-hmm. have been saying for a long time, like six, nobody wants to hear this. None of our listeners wants to hear yeah. this, but, you know, does $60 still make sense for, for a video game? Does, you know, four year cycle, despite that being fairly common for some of some of this, these size games, um, is that reasonable anymore? Can, do we need to adjust our expectations or the marketing budgets and then the cost of of these video games to offset those things is unionization um, that they apparently didn't get an opportunity to really explore too much. Is that something that could protect workers or set in place um, certain what the work environment needs to be so that some overachievers aren't invariably setting off more work for some other developers where there's a cascading effect. There's a really great um, mm-hmm. thread on Twitter that uh, from a developer whose name I'm forgetting right now, uh, but they had mentioned, you know, one person wanting to do this really cool new feature. That's great, but it's not just their own time that they're spending because inevitably, mm-hmm. you know, art needs to get involved. Sound design yeah. needs to get involved. It starts impacting all these other verticals too. Mm-hmm. It is, it's a, I'm glad to hear you bring up budget. You know, crunch is a reflection of budget and you know, they have a certain amount of money to get a video game made. And so to mitigate crunch, you know, you can internationalize your development teams, but that also brings with it its own sort of moral and ethical issues of like, well, maybe we can hire two developers or three developers in one country for the cost of one in the United States. But again, that has an endpoint where that doesn't sort of gain you anything more. And like, that also doesn't necessarily feel super great or good in regards to, um, you know, income inequalities in different regions across the world. Um, if you're outsourcing things to contractors or third parties and they say, well, we can get this done for you for X dollars, 
and it would cost you double that to do it internally at your own studio, you kind of have to ask yourself why, well, what corners are they doing or how are they able to save all this money? Like, are they just going to crunch their own team to get this work done on our behalf? But, but, um, since it's not us internally at our own studio, they don't really see it as our problem anymore. Like it's really, it's really tough. Like, you know, the work has to get done for these games to exist. Every single part of it has to get done by someone. So that has to be confronted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to your point, Tina, about, you know, is $60, like, could we pay more? And again, a lot of our audience will not like to hear this, but to be honest, I wouldn't mind paying a little more than 60 bucks if it meant that crunch was mitigated a little bit. And one thing I do want to note is, um, and we noted this in our news story about this as well. Uh, so another Sony studio, Insomniac, recently released Ratchet and Clank Mm -hmm. Rift Apart. And according to those devs, they didn't do any crunch they didn't work more than 40 hours a week that's just what they're a few of them are tweeting so Mm -hmm. i don't know that it's impossible and they did note the naughty dog developers did note in the um interview that there is no silver bullet and i think that's a hundred percent true like there is no rule that you can set that like no one works on sundays like it's just that's not it but yeah it's, it's a nuanced issue that deserves a more nuanced approach i think from some of these studios and that's especially interesting too, because they're both Sony first party studios. And like, you can tell how, you know, independent studios are in, in terms of creativity and operation. They even touch on that in the Naughty Dog interview. They're like, Sony doesn't tell us what games to make. We make the games that we think we're going to be really good at making. But it also means that like, you know, those lessons at, you know, that the developers learned from making Ratchet and Clank. Like, I hope there's like a GDC next year where they speak on that. And everybody gets to hear what their tricks are. Like that's stuff that's like so applicable to every, every workplace and yep. to hear people talk about it uh, openly and say, like, I'm just speaking for myself, but like, I, you know, I, I spent, you know, just the right amount of time at work. Like that was really cool to read and positive. I'm just happy there is somebody out there doing that. Um, it, that, that, yeah, that was an interesting flip side to the story, not this story, but to mm-hmm. this topic. The I, general I, crunch topic. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's interesting because like shared resources is a big thing. And it feels like mm-hmm. there's a lot of room to expand there. Even in this one interview, they touched on it where they mentioned like, you know, in, Insomniac or Girl Games, like we we can share resources. Like um, I forget. Uh, oh, yeah. It was for Ghost of Tsushima. They had motion captured a horse. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, can we borrow that motion capture so that mm-hmm. we're a little bit of a step ahead and we, you know, we'll put our assets on top of that. And, you know, we're not going to wholesale copy it, but it does skip you ahead a little bit. And it's kind of, you know, there's, there are a lot of engines um, that run off of like pretty basic assets. You can actually, it's almost like stock imagery. You can like yeah. license trees. Like they'll, you'll, they'll, they'll be your favorite tree in red dead redemption. You know, they work a little bit differently, <laughs> of course, but like, you know, might show up in another game. And it's because there are a lot of these assets that you license out. And it means your designers don't have to painstakingly paint every single tree themselves. Of course, very different at Rockstar because they like to do everything themselves. Um, but that's that's part of like an evolution. And I think part of like the Sony environment that they've spoken to a few times where they they share resources and, and share ideas and brainstorm with one another, like leads from the different studios. So they mentioned the horse as an example. Um, they mentioned Seattle, too, uh, as like, a you know, other studios have created the blueprints for these for these cities and we want to create, we want to emulate something similar so we don't have to start completely from scratch. So it's another, another tool at their disposal. 
Yeah, Ubisoft has been really forward on that. They, they always talk about that, like sharing resources and, and tree the tree example type thing and stuff like yeah. that. I think yeah, that that'll that'll be one step. And then I think you know Justin mentioned this uh, a bit, but like I really think we're going to reach a place where AI is going to do a huge amount of game development for us. And this week there is like a really good example that we covered on IGN, which you should check out the visual examples of this, where it was like uh, an AI uh, program that took game characters and then made them look. Uh, like real people. So it kind of like took them and, and approximated what they would look like more like a real person. You don't think about that when you look at Joel or something like he looks very realistic to me, but then you look at the person that say I created, it's like, Whoa, that looks like somebody like that looks like Joel a little bit. Like it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a casting thing, right? Like it just, it was just enough like it. So, but there, that's a tool that's taking something and making it potentially more realistic, you know? And if you think about the, uh, the opportunities that are going to be for making, you know, motion and, textures and like all of these things like, there's so many elements of games that we're probably going to be able to rely a little bit more on uh, on our computer buddies for it soon that's my futurism mm-hmm. for you yeah mm-hmm. i think i think that's right i've been a little bit you know doom and gloom during this portion of the discussion and i am concerned about <laughs> it but like the the silver lining and and the way forward is software and tools and engines you know it's like this is the work that has to get done and we have this much time and this many people and this much budget to do it and like it's a super, super material difference if you're using a tool like SpeedTree or whatever and, you know, can plop down trees that then you have to customize instead of starting things from scratch. And so um, uh, there's this kind of arms race between the demands from hardcore gamers for what, like, the highest fidelity, biggest AAA experience needs to look and feel like, and then the tools that developers have to kind of get that done. And, like, I, I sort of sense that that's been out of whack for a little while. And... um you know, bringing that back to some kind of equilibrium with like better tools that allow, you know, one developer to get more done faster, um, I think is, uh, is, um, you know, the, the way through this. Yeah. And I think, well, you know, we as- only, uh, armchair developer analyzing here. So if uh, there are any developers listening to the podcast, feel free to reach out to us at gamescoop at IGN.com. We're very curious to hear your takes as well. Uh, hopefully my, my shaky internet all through that came out anyway. Are you one of those people that thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. We had a few reveals this week. Um, We had another look at Dead Space, the upcoming remake. Um, And they they did it in a bit of a non-traditional way. There was a live stream uh, that they held this week where they showcased a lot of behind-the-scenes looks at mid-development, early pre-production um, is the kind of, you know, phase that they were, that they, we were looking at when we're looking at that footage, showing us how things have advanced, um, primarily visually, but they really talked a lot about some of the gameplay mechanics too. Um, you know, curious to, to hear from you guys if uh, you felt like this is a vast next-gen differentiation from, from its Dead Space predecessor, its original predecessor. I mean, the funny thing about Dead Space is it's one of those games when they first announced they were remaking it. I was kind of like, well, 
the original still very much holds up. Like it's one of those few games that you can play 13 years later and you're like, Oh, this still looks amazing. Um, but upon seeing like the kind of side by side that they showed, um, in the live stream, I was like, okay, like, I guess we have come a long way in the past decade, decade plus. So it, it's, it's hard to say now cause it is so still unfinished and that they actually gave us more than I thought we were going to get. Um, but to me, it's, it's looking really cool so far. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, I watched the several tech demos. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's really nice to correct the, uh, the flying around, uh, in space stuff a little bit, make it more like dead space too. But, uh, the, they showed one that they, they called it a gym and it had, um, you know, a, a necromorph in it. That was very a very nice necromorph. It didn't want to attack you. It just wanted to yell at you and claw a little bit to the air. And they uh, they were shooting it with the um, the, the plasma cutter um, in multiple ways, and then explaining like really like intricately like how dismemberment would work. And it was I was actually watching it while eating lunch, and it was it was gross, <laughs> um, but also reminded me of like what I completely love about Dead Space, where every single shot counts. And that is something where that gameplay element, the dismemberment, like tuning that up is like super cool because it means that I will reload my save so many times. So I do my run just right and use the right amount of bullets and chop off the legs perfectly each time. It's like, I, that's so what I like about this game. And also I, it's because it's, it's a Resident Evil like that. I really like it too. It feels like Resident Evil 4 extension to me, which I think is great. Sam, I, I, I call it totally peeling. agree. Yeah, no, peeling, no, the dismemberment, what I really appreciate mm -hmm. about that is how much it rewards precision. Like they were saying, like, mm -hmm. you have to hit the bone and right, like per the perfect spot. Yeah, it's like, so gross. like, I appreciate that thoughtfulness and dismemberment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Alex. Where like, it seems like it's shaping up to be the exact kind of remake that pulls off kind of a magic trick of like, you know, I'm not sure Dead Space needs to be remade. And then you see the side by side screenshots and you're like, oh, yep. Mm -hmm. Like it, it games do this thing where in your mind they always look way more beautiful than if you were to dig out a game from 13 years ago you'd be like oh this is this is very different than how i remember so like threading that needle of um of looking the way that it sort of looks in our collective memories like it feels like dead space is getting that exactly right so far i'm not you mentioned the, uh, the i don't want i don't want to play it Tina mentioned the peeling thing, which they showed as part of the, the tech demo. <laughs> so, so gross. They showed like a dev tool, like passing over the creature. And it was like, here's some skull. Here's some guts. This is what's <laughs> under here. Good luck. So, I mean, the best part, so this is, yeah, like that, you know, we were just about to see that part of the demo, but that's, that's the best part about it is it's not just a visual thing because of course dead space mm -hmm. has always been visual. Um, there's one thing that I have in mind. I'm sure everybody else does, mm -hmm. uh, that, that comes to mind with that sort of thing, but it's it's specifically that it has a gameplay impact now so yeah. you can like peel off layers of their flesh and muscle and get to their bone and then you know you can yeah. actually like tear through their their bones at that juncture so you, you know you can target a specific part of the limb and and see like that actually coming to play as, as you're tearing through it um and so, that's the life yeah, pretty bar. pretty amazing level of detail um and i think to, to all of your guys's points i always felt like i've I've been a long-standing Dead Space fan. I've always felt like it looked visually impressive. Mm. One of the first things, um, I, I think I told this story on Scoop before, actually, but I met a visceral um, developer way back in the day. 
one of the first things I said was, Oh, you worked on dead space. You know, I really loved, um, you know, when you go back on, on the Ishimura and, and dead space too, and you could just see the textures of the, the tarp and how amazing it is. Like something so insignificant like that really draws you into the experience. Um, turns out he was a texture artist. So it was the perfect compliment to give. Huh. Uh, but it's, it's pretty crazy to see Isaac of the past and Isaac of the future with so much details on his suit. Um, and like the mist in, in the middle of all of the hallways that he's in, it just, it yeah. really adds an extra layer of atmosphere. Yep. Yeah. So gross. Huh? Yeah. This so, is so gross. Really gross. But yeah, I, I, so like, perfectly gross. There's that famous, you know, thing with, with, they, they disabled the HUD on, you know, dead space. So you, everything that you see is like actually on Isaac's back, right? Like his, that's his, that's his health pack and his like, you know, ammo and everything you actually see like on his, like, you know, uh, right in the frame on him. And then they're saying like, this is like, this is how you can tell enemies are about to die is when they're peeled a whole lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like their little health bars that I just thought that was like such a cool game development idea. I don't know if we've seen that before, mm-hmm. like in old, you know, 16 bit games, the bosses like turn red and then they turn brown and then they die. <laughs> That's like a comedy. You're like, oh, I can tell this boss is dying without a, without a health meter. But I, this is like such a cool next gen way to do that. And, you know, it's on the games, the games like creepy hallway lighting for us to be able to see how much of the bones are revealed on this horrible creature to know if it's about to die. But it's going to work, I think. Yeah, I, work. yeah, one of the things that is so great about Dead Space, it's it's not just the gore. I think what's so scary about it is like kind of like the sounds you hear and get, oh, yeah. with that hallway shot, it's like the claustrophobia. Like there is a lot of interesting things they can do with next gen technology, which I'm really excited to see. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's there's one more element uh, in general. I just thought it was super cool that they decided to do a tech demo for this kind of thing. You know, I think tra- more transparency is always better, but it's just cool to see and appreciate the stuff like we we saw a lot of the, the you know, Isaac shooting up necromorphs in a what they call a gray box. And, you know, they effectively put the assets on after that once they've mm-hmm. figured out all of the environments and, and physics and whatnot. Um, but the other cool element was about Isaac himself. You know, he's he's not mm-hmm. a very talkative kind of protagonist. Um, but they're, they're changing that just a little bit. Uh, he'll, he'll still have his very, uh, quiet and commanding presence of, as a protagonist. Um, but he'll, he'll actually talk when people speak to him or as they said, um, if it feels weird for him to not say anything, which they seem to allude to, you know, if there's discussions on problem solving or strategy or the missions, like Mm -hmm. to not say anything, not acknowledge or or have some sort of commentary. So a little bit of, more dialogue to kind of flesh him out as, as part of the remake too. Yeah. yeah I really like that second stipulation of it. Like he'll talk when it would be weird for him not to. It's so vague, but it makes sense. Yeah. It reminds yeah, yeah, me yeah, of exactly. Zelda. If you know, dead space, you know, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, one other reveal from the week, um, which was coming off the, the heels of its, its actual reveal at, at um, Gamescom was uh, Marvel's Midnight Sun. So we got new gameplay, which effectively confirms that it is indeed a card-based strategy um, game or style of a game. So it's not exactly, although it is from the XCOM creators, it's not exactly Marvel XCOM, but it's also not exactly Hearthstone. So not quite like, you know, the deck builders that some people might be familiar with. Sorry, Damon. Um, and I'm, I've been told by experts that it's more like Slay the Spire. Uh, I forget, Justin, did you play Slay the Spire? I have played a million hours of Slay the Spire. That's what I thought. Okay, good, good, good. I wasn't, I wasn't off base. So, so yeah, did you, did you make any kind of connections based on the gameplay that you saw to, to Slay the Spire as other stuff? 
Well, now now I'm second guessing myself uh, because kind of not really like it seemed it seemed more like, you know, it's like to me, it was like 80 percent XCOM and then like 20 percent card game. Like, I, I think that the concerns here are kind of overblown or, um, you know, surprise, surprise, gamers are mad um, that it's just it's not exactly what they want. Like, you know, for access and that XCOM team is known for a very, very specific kind of game. And so then people brought a set of expectations into this Marvel game. And so um, when it doesn't completely match them or sort of zags in a little bit of an unusual way, then then people are upset about it. Uh, but to me, I, you know, I was talking to Dan Stapleton about this a little bit, who, um, you know, I think is the world's biggest XCOM fan. And um, <laughs> it doesn't seem that different. It's just remixing the skills you have at your disposal than each unit always having the exact same set of skills at his or her disposal. And it's still based off what I've seen so far, seems mostly like XCOM um, and not so much like a Hearthstone or Slay the Spire, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the way they described it was basically a customizable battle system with superhero flair. They mentioned that a few times um, Mm -hmm. and some role-playing elements uh, just based on the fact that, you know, there are weapons to unlock, skills to upgrade. uh, But as far as the the card-based system, it's uh, effectively a random selection of hero abilities. uh, So you're supposed to strategize against that. And then your environment plays a role. Um, friendships play a role. And, and then based on those friendships, some of those tag team combos that you can do between heroes is also a big part of the gameplay. It seems like we've we've learned from this latest uh, live stream. I think I think it looks really cool. Like, I hope that like, look, like if someone was expecting a certain kind of game from this team, I get that. And I don't want to discount. Mm-hmm. I don't want to discount that criticism or people feeling upset that it's not what they were hoping for. But like, but I hope we can move past like, well, I wish it was this into like, well, can we actually talk about what it actually is and whether we think that looks cool or fun or not? Because I totally think it looks super fun. Um, you mentioned the uh, the role-playing part of it and that you know w- was addressed as part of the live stream as part of the Abbey that they all inhabit. And that, for me, gave me big Fire Emblem vibes where mm. like part of Fire Emblem is like you're going out and you're doing these grid based battles and then you come back and you develop relationships and it's like you walk around, you know, your camp and you talk to everybody and you in that game you form romances, no romances in this one. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you do that. I think like that's that's pretty cool. And like, a, a you know, like to add to this game. Um, they gave some funny examples. One was like uh, playing video games, Ghost Rider. <laughs> And so you can tell there'll be like kind of funny, like little Marvel instances there. By the way, Ghost Rider looks horrible in this. Just a terrifying character. Like there's nothing charming about the skull in this game. He looks more like a twisted metal character than the Ghost Rider. Mm. Super freaky. I don't know if I would play video games with him, but most most of the others, maybe <laughs> Wolfie. Um, but yeah, like I thought that was kind of cool. Like just, to, you know, that there'll be some kind of uh, story building and, and character talking and stuff in the back. Smart idea. It's interesting that you compared it to Fire Emblem. It gave me a lot of like Dragon Age Inquisition vibes, which is another game where you can romance the characters. A little (laughs) disappointed that I can't like romance Doctor Strange, but you know, you can't always get what you want. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. We we made sure to ask that question early on when the um, when the game was revealed, because it's it is a big element to the to the game. From what they say, They, they told us that you would have very, very close relationships, or I suppose you can build towards very close relationships and you can do a lot of that. Um, Sam, as you were saying, in the the hub for the game, which is the Abbey, uh, there's some other things that you can expect, like daily activities. And I think you can upgrade the Abbey or you can upgrade certain elements for like the the training that you do with Blade, for instance. So there's a little bit of uh, extra gameplay there, too. 
the one big thing uh, that a lot of people were afraid of and were preemptively criticizing 2K over was the, the fear of like loot boxes and microtransactions. But they confirmed there wouldn't be any um, shape or form of that except for just strictly cosmetics. So it sounds mm-hmm. like they, they managed to head off that concern or, uh, you know, at least clarify early on. Yeah, happy to see that. Yeah, good good choice for sure, because that would have set the tone very differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing from a clear XCOM fan uh, who, who's very familiar with Firaxis games, uh, this was from a commenter on our YouTube channel for, for one of the gameplay reveals, and I thought it was funny enough I wanted to share. Um, the YouTube commenter says, now Marvel fans will know what it's like to experience being told you have a 99% chance to hit only to miss. <laughs> <laughs> Superheroes don't miss, though. Come on, that's yeah. not a thing. It's just statistics. I mean, you know, that, that one out of a hundred times, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, 1% chance is still a chance. That's right. Okay. Well, that brings us to 20 questions. Um, our suggestion today comes from this character. His name is Jared. He's from San Francisco, California, (laughs) and he has a message for, for everybody here. He says, tell the goose camp counselors that Jared challenges them. Uh-oh. So let the questioning begin. Is this? Cool. I can't quite tell. Uh, is uh, is this Jared Petty or is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. If I wasn't subtle enough, if I was too subtle about it, rather. I just I wanted to be super explicit. <laughs> Hi, Jared. Hey, Jared. We better win this, Jared. Or I'm coming for I know. you. I know. I know. Yeah. Well. Now I just have Jared on the mind, and it's like, did he pick something super weird? Yes, he absolutely did. <laughs> yeah. It's a big clue. It's a big clue. Could be, could not be. Mm. <laughs> He's tricky. He's tricky. I know he'd want us to think that he picked something weird, and then he, then he didn't. So it's gotta... probably knowing. It's probably. I'm just gonna call Jared. Yeah, <laughs> that's cheating. To phone a friend. You don't get a. Yeah, you don't get a phone a friend in this game. <laughs> oh boy. All right. You want to throw out the first, Alex? Oh, okay. Maybe we should start with years. That'll narrow it down. Um, okay. Did it come out? Um, before the year 2000. It did not. Oh, okay. well, we're already out of, okay. out of this out century. Of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe it's a remake. Um, yeah. It's Blaster Master Zero. Is this a console exclusive? No. So it's difficult. Great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is it part of a series? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can I play this on a Switch? No. Man. Okay. Let me double check just in case. <laughs> yeah, you never know with that console, man. Yeah, exactly. A weird, a weird, mm-hmm. a weird games released on Switch once in a while. Yeah, that's true. Wait, I've been playing Graveyard Keeper on my Switch. That is a very fun and addictive video game. I'm way into Axiom Verge right now. I'm having a good time with it. Two. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to go from here? We could go with like studios, like indie versus AAA, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I, I need to know the era. We got like, we got 20, 21 years we're still working. No. <laughs> uh, is this from the, um, uh, well, do we want to do like current? It's not on Switch, but it's probably current console generation or the one right before. Would you do by year after 2010? 
Yeah. Yeah, let's do after 2010. Okay. Did this come out after 2010? Yes. Okay. Oh, new game. Fairly modern. Newish game. Newish. Mm-hmm. Not on the Switch. Part of a series. Was this game developed in Japan? No. Okay. Is maybe, it- maybe Jared's playing mind games with us. And he, he picked is. like the most the most anti Jared Petty. Like it's probably <laughs> it's probably like like Call of Duty India. Modern Warfare too. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, the biggest or, blockbuster of all. Time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's NBA Live. <laughs> um, would you would you say this game uh, was a very popular best selling game? Um, no. Okay. Darn. Makes me think it could be an indie. Yeah, that's a that's a question I like. Is it an indie? Nope. No. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> um, we're, we're getting ourselves into a bit of trouble here on this one. Is this I'm- a plat- platformer RPG or sports game? Oh yeah, so it's like one of the above. Yeah. Um. Mm, it's a tough one to answer. What were your three again? Platformer, RPG, or sports game? I'm going to cheat and give you guys a non-yes or no question. I'm going to say it has elements okay. of some of those things. Okay. <laughs> That's a good hint. But I wouldn't call it. Yeah, like I wouldn't call it one of those directly, but it yeah, certainly yeah. has elements. Yeah. Does it have RPG elements? Um. Some. <laughs> okay. Okay. That helps. That was two that, times that's a question. for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't count that as a second question? No, do it's you, a second question. Do you, when yeah. you're, okay. when you're attacking things in this game, what, by whatever means, did, mm-hmm. did numbers pop out? So, no. So it can't be that RPG ish. You got numbers popping out mm-hmm. of everything these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, if I had to answer that in yes, no, I would have said no. But it just feels a little unfair to not reference that there's some things that feel a little RPG. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll be able okay. Like everything has a skill tree, every video game. So yeah, every, I know. Every, every, yeah, uh, fair enough. Every yeah. game's like ten percent RPG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so okay, we'll go back to no then. Okay. Um, this is hard. I don't know if you guys can you- have know this, but this. <laughs> <laughs> Can we you, always get it in the eleventh hour. Yeah. Right, Can you play as a woman in this game? No. Okay. Is this game played from a first-person perspective? No. Shoot. Hmm. Uh. I mean, we can either go with like, we can start going down the path of like, what kind of game is it? Like, you know, yeah. fantasy or like genre or or narrow down like the, the genre of play style. Or we could go down the path of being like, what the heck console is this on? Because we still don't know. Well, we know it came out after 2010, not on the Switch. So it's like, you know, and it was made in the United States or no. Not a console not, exclusive. Not in Japan. Excuse me. Because so, you know, mm-hmm. be could be one of those uh, Canadian games. 
Yeah, anything from Ubisoft. Um, uh, it's not first person, so it's it's you know it's probably like a you know like a third person actiony sort of thing where you upgrade your character. That's what I'm picturing. I don't you know it'd be anything. Yeah, I mean the fact that it's not first person makes me think it's definitely not a shooter or anything. Does this uh, game take place on modern day Earth? <laughs> um, parts of it. What? <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of non-specific. Uh, it it does. It does is the answer is yes. Should we ask if it's based on a license? Oh. Part, parts of it take place on modern day Earth. Does that mean parts like of Avengers. it are in space? Something yeah. like that. I don't know if it means part of it is in space. I don't know what that means. Like a mass um, effect, maybe, or something like that. Or maybe it's like a maybe it's like Darksiders, where like you know technically that game takes place now, but the world is all bats because the apocalypse happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Did we ask about multiplayer? No. No. Should we? This is a multiplayer not- game. Nope. No, that's 14. Wow. All right, then yeah. that eliminates a lot of my leads. Yeah, we know it's not first person. Which, you know, obviously there's plenty of third person multiplayer games, but fewer. Uh, Where were we with genre? Uh, like we, we know that it has parts of like elements of RPG. Do we have any more than that? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe elements of a platformer or, um, or a sports game. Let's say, let's say, so let's just give it a no for all of those. Okay. Okay. Instead of my cheaty answer. Okay. Um, is, is this like a third person action game? Like where you yes. running around fighting things, doing things. Okay. Cool. Yes. That's 15. Okay. That gives us a lot though. Third person. Yeah. Adventure mm-hmm. game. But like, but a lot of them mm-hmm. are like, you know, a lot of them are single platforms. So it's, you know, it's obviously like not an uncharted or a last of us or any of those. Oh yeah. Do, we don't know if it's 2D or 3D, right? No. No. Because the first person was just like that. It wasn't didn't indicate anything else. Is this a is this a 2D game? No. Oh boy. Oh, I think that's 16. And it's part it's of like a series a, like, as well. It's like a Darksidersy mm-hmm. game. It's a third person action game. Multi multi-platform mm-hmm. action game. Where part of it takes place on modern day Earth. There's the relevance issue. You know, like it could be like uh, something that just was talked about at Gamescom, like Saints Row or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was a Jared. This was a Jared special, and oh. he doesn't know that I like I, to do those sorts of things. I also uh, already. I already forgot about that. He listens to the show. Though. Uh, yeah, it's part of a series. Is this game? Um, does this the gameplay in this game take place in an open world? Um. Does it? Yeah, I think. I, yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. So you know, mm-hmm. it, it, like we we I don't know that we've eliminated like Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. When did Grand Theft Although, Auto come out again? Twenty eleven. Okay. Twenty twelve. But yeah, it's it not. Be that. He spent a lot of time with that game. Except, <laughs> except, I would say that that whole game takes place on contemporary Earth. Yeah, but it's like, and you guys also asked if it was like yeah. a Gangbusters seller. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Popular, and I said no. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's right. So, not an all-time bestseller, open world. 
third person action game, not made in Japan. Multiple. Like usually those big open world action games are like huge hits, right? Like that's kind of a. It, is there's it like, like, yeah, there's like yeah. superhero ones like Crackdown and Prototype and stuff like that. There's there's like there's like a Sewer's Wrath, or, but those those are that's Japanese. There's licensed games like Spider Man. Mm-hmm, but that was a mega hit. I did think about Spider Man and console exclusive. And it's mm-hmm. console exclusive. It could be like uh what were those crappy no they're not actually that what about the like mm. the uh there's that Activision series where you would mutate and turn into like a little superhero person uh pro- prototype what? prototype oh yeah, yeah I mentioned that we could we could do the um there's uh, uh that's all no those are exclusives the other sunset overdrives and yeah and infamous like that. uh and what's the did you say infamous so yeah, yeah. You know, so it's not, you know, something like The Witcher, those kinds of open worlds, you know, Dragon Age are like two, you know, they're obviously RPGs. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, could it be like... Have Saints we mentioned Row? this game yet? Oh. I, that's a question. We haven't asked it yet? Yeah. Nope. Okay. You, you guys are, you guys have one more question and a guess technically, because I was oh 18. Oh my God. I feel okay. like we're not anywhere near it. Um, <laughs> oh no. Um, we're I'll, gonna, I'll give gonna, you guys... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say I can give you guys a little bit of a hint. Yes, please. Um, it's sort of a scoop game, sort of a damey game, or at least in the in the realm of it. Maybe not. We mm-hmm. talked about this being a series, so maybe not the specific one. I don't actually know. Scoop game. I, mean, I don't know. Like, so you know, lovable franchises. Yeah, yeah. That we've talked about a lot. Lovable, I feel like, was a pretty big clue. Is it like mm-hmm. a is it like a mascot game? Uh, I, like a like I a, mean I, I know what you mean. Not kind of. <laughs> you're, 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 you're giving us too much. You just have to let us fail sometimes, I know. Tina. Um, I just don't want to answer incorrectly. There's yeah. a lot that are like on the edge. You'll see when it's revealed. Mm-hmm. That's technically so. Technically, we're at 19. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Mm. I mean, what I about? Don't know. Um, we talk about Red Dead a lot, right? That type of thing. It could be the earlier Red Dead game, but that's not before. That's before 2010. Mm-hmm. It didn't sell well. Um, there's like GTAs that are like not the biggest GTAs in the world. Well, by lovable, I mean by us. Less so me. Mm-hmm. I don't have it. I give up. Yeah, there's a lot of card games. Yeah, that's true. But that's like it's more of a you know yeah. most of us not one or okay. two of us. <laughs> um, so this okay, is a, so this is our guess. I think we have to give up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you guys ready? Yeah. Jared Jared triumphed here. Um, yeah, so it was released in 2014 for PC, PS3, Xbox 360, published by Konami, but developed by Mercury Steam, which is based in Europe and Spain. Oh. Sequel to a 2010 game. The, the genre, I would say, is action-adventure or hack-and-slash. The setting, I wrote all this down, guys, the setting is between medieval and modern times. Mm-hmm. The protagonist slash mascot 
I guess it would be yeah. Dracula. Yeah. So it's one of the bad Castlevanias. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Lords II. of Shadow. Yeah. Right. So yeah, Jared wanted to know if you could guess this uh, random Spanish developed Castlevania game. That's really interesting because like, you know, the non it not being Japanese, I would have never gotten to Castlevania. That's a really right. difficult one. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit hard mode. I warned Jared about that, but he was like, I don't know. It's like a mainstream series still. It's like Castlevania. They love those things. And I was like, all right, okay, we're going to do it. <laughs> if but we yeah, just you, gone with, do you play as a human? And then you cracked up, then we would have known. <laughs> well, it's, it's a vampire. Yeah. Well, you were once a human, but you see you got bitten. And then also your son yeah. got bitten and you turned yeah. him into Alucard. And, and there's also, you're going after Satan. <laughs> so actually nobody's human really in this entire series. It's also, funny. did you guys know? Uh, fun fact, Patrick Stewart voices one of the characters in Whoa, this game. I did not. That's crazy. Huh. Yeah, I did not know either. This is a fun <laughs> fact about Patrick Stewart, and this is actually true. Big Beavis and Butthead merchandise collector. Oh. That oh. is a fun fact. What a specific niche. Yeah. 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 Big fan. Wow. Um, yeah, that, I, that, that's interesting. And then also I know on GameScoop 20 Questions, we've gone down that route before to figure out if the protagonist is undead. And we've we're like, is it a robot or a vampire or a zombie? What, yeah, it, what do you mean by undead? What do you mean by not living? It's all about how you start those tr- those trends, those tracks. That was a great one. Yeah. Really difficult. Very yeah. difficult. Well, yeah. Sorry to stump you, um, but... Jared, you can at all of us yeah. <laughs> on Twitter. Thank you for the suggestion. I'm sure I'll um, be hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is all the scoops that we have for you today uh, for this week. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Alex. Thank, thank you, Justin. You. Uh, thank you, Mariah, working behind the scenes. Um, don't forget that you can email Damon, none of us, because we can't know any of this intel, but you can email <laughs> Damon at gamescoop at IGN.com uh, with some topics and more suggestions for our next 20 questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since I will still be here because Damon's, I don't know, babysitting or something, apparently, <laughs> uh, I will still be here next week. So please send all of those to me for now at Tina at IGN.com. And that is all. We will see you next time. This is IGN GameScoop, and we're out. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.